2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. Saints of God, this is the word of the Lord. Give it your full attention. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may be seated. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Holy Father, be with us now through your Son and by your Spirit. May your Spirit help us recognize the voice of Christ. May we see the Word of God and approach the Word of God as a son and a daughter approaches their Heavenly Father or their Father. Help us see the glory and the beauty of Christ, the glory and beauty of our eternal triune God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We read in Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If any man is above beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion, for the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined, holding firmly the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. The pastor has a mighty task on his hands, does he not? The pastor is not only as... Paul tells us to be one beyond reproach, but he used to be God's steward. He is to be not quick-tempered and not greedy with money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined. But notice what Paul says at the very end. He says, all these things which are dealing with the morale of the shepherd, is to exhort him to preach sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. The pastor is to teach God's people sound doctrine. The pastor is also to teach God's people how to recognize false doctrine. But also, the pastor is to lead by example. He is to lead others and show others not only from his own life, but also from God's word, how to live unto God. And for our consideration this morning, the pastor is to teach his congregation how to die well. It was Richard Baxter who said, a life still near to death did me possess with a deep sense of time's great preciousness, still thinking I had little time to live, my fervent heart to win men's souls did strive, 
I'd preach as never sure to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. Isn't that the pastor's job every single Sunday? Not only to exhort and bring forth God's word, to teach sound doctrine, to contradict and to rebuke false doctrine, to teach others how to live, but also to preach to dying people. For he himself is a dying man. Saints, this morning, the question I have before you is, what does it mean to die well? How are we to die well? Death is not something that we all are looking forward to, I'm sure. At least the moments leading up to death. Because they may or may not be painful. But saints, I want you this morning to consider death, and not necessarily death itself, but us leading up to death, which starts at the moment of conception. And now as a Christian, how can we, being saved by the blood of Christ, how can we live better unto death? How can we, in other words, die well? And this morning, St. Paul is going to teach us how to die well. Let's consider how Paul views death in our text this morning, and that is first by way of sacrifice. First by way of sacrifice. Consider with me the opening words of verse 6. It reads, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, these opening verses and these opening words, rather, of verse 6 can be misinterpreted if not correctly explained. For from just reading the text without explanation, we may think that Paul is saying that his death will be an atonement. Or maybe Paul is saying that his death will be an offering to God, which will be the basis of his acceptance to God. I'm going to offer myself the same way Christ offers himself. And when God sees my life and he sees the righteousness of my life, then he's going to accept me into heaven. Well, saints, of course, Paul is not saying that. Paul here is not saying that his life is being poured out in a similar way to the way Christ's life was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Rather, what Paul has in mind is his death will be the capping off of a life that was lived as a sacrifice to God. And the way Paul conveys this truth is by way of a drink offering. The idea of a drink offering was first presented in Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob poured out a drink offering before the Lord as a sacrifice. In the Mosaic law, drink offerings could be a part of the sacrifice of the Lord. It was more so like the end of the sacrifice. And here in our text, when Paul says that his life is already poured out, what Paul is saying is Paul is ready to completely give himself to God without any hesitation, without any reservation. He's ready to give it all to God here in Paul's life. He's ready to empty the cup of his life. He's ready to empty the cup of his life. And saints, notice the word that he uses. Paul uses the word already. For I am already 
being poured out as a drink offering. I love words like this because it allows us to get into the psyche of the, of the, of the writer. From this word already, we can, we can get a sense of where Paul's mind and heart was. In other words, here this word already tells us that Paul knew he was going to die. Paul knew he was going to die. Tradition tells us that Paul died a martyr's death. That Paul's head was severed from his body. And here from these words, you can sense that Paul could taste death. That the sand in his hourglass is is slowly going down. That although his head is not on the executioner's block, nevertheless, his heart was there. His soul was there. Paul was ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. Paul was ready to make one last surrender to the Lord. And this, friends, teaches us much about the Christian life. For the Christian life is to be lived in service to God. Paul did not view his execution as a, as a cruel tragedy or as an unfair treatment in his view for many years of dedicated service, but rather, Paul saw his death, he saw his execution as the culmination of, of a life that has been offered to God. As we consider life saints, in order to finish well, You need to view all of your life as an act of sacrificial service to God. Paul says in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies in a, uh, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. To St. Paul, life is to be lived as service to God. That is to say, the Christian life is to be lived devoted to God. That all of our being is to be offered to God in service. And saints, we aren't to think that, well, our life that is to be lived in service to God is not as fun as the life that we used to live. Many Christians may think that, and even those, your friends and family who talk to you and say, you're a Christian, you, you don't get to do the things, the fun things that you used to do. I'm sure many of you have told you that, or... You might have, in your early stages of Christianity, may have thought that, that I don't get to think, do the, the fun things any longer. But saints, hear me now, a, serve, a life lived in service to God is truly the good life. Again, a, a life lived on the service to God is truly the good life. Let us not look back at the way we used to live and, and the sin that we used to indulge in and, and laugh. And reminisce that life, saints, is not the good life. The unsaved life is the unfulfilled life. It's a life that chases after lower goods in hopes of finding something that would make me completely happy and satisfied. But friends, the Christian life A life of service unto God is the life that God has intended humanity to live because it is only the Christian life by which man finds the ultimate good. That man finds something 
which is God himself, that they don't need to look beyond to see if there's something better. Because once you find God, then you found the ultimate source of happiness. Once you find God, and we can say also once God finds you, you have reached your supernatural end. You have reached the very climax by which you were created. And as Paul here reflecting upon his life, knowing that the closing of his life is near, he says simply, I'm ready. I'm ready to give one last sacrifice to God. Let's consider the second way Paul views death, and that is by way of divine appointment. Notice Paul uses the word time. Again, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Now, to give you the context, Paul is sitting in a Roman jail cell. Essentially, Paul is on death row. Paul knows that the end is very near, that his time has come, that the time of his life is coming to a close, that he's going to die. And saints, the nearness of Paul's death is not primarily because of the Roman soldiers. The Roman government is not primarily the reason why Paul's time is near. But Paul's time to die, the reason why Paul's time is near is because of divine appointment. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and just as it is destined for people to die once. Friends, death is something that we all must face. But death is by no means random. Death is by no means random. Death doesn't happen by chance. Death itself is not a force that does what it pleases and takes out people when it chooses. Although God uses secondary means, it is God and God alone who ordains everyone's death. Not death itself, but God ordains your death. Everyone, from the moment of conception, has a time and has a date to die. You sitting here right now have a time. You sitting here right now have a date. And also you sitting here now have a cause of the reason why you will die. But saints, in no way should we fear death. (laughs) In no shape or form should we fear death. Yes, death is an enemy, a great enemy, but we know that our Christ has defeated death, thereby, of course, we will one day defeat death. Nevertheless, death is still a mysterious and dark reality, is it not? And to the Christian, although the leading up to death may be painful, I mean, isn't that what we probably dread the most? And although we don't know when or how we will die, for the believer in Christ, death is a sweet day. For every believer's death is not only of divine appointment, and hear me now, saints, but every believer's death 
is an answered prayer of Christ. Every believer's death is an answered prayer of Jesus Christ. Remember, saints, what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer to the Father in John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. So that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Why does a believer die? We could say by cancer. We could say by virus. We could say by car crash. We could say by many natural causes. But saints, ultimately, every believer dies because Jesus asked his father that they may be with him where he is. That is why believers die. So that they may be with Christ where he is. What this means, saints, that no one, rather no believer, no one who has placed their faith in Christ alone, no saint of God leaves this world randomly. No one leaves this world by chance. No believer, but rather a believer leaves this world because that believer is an answered prayer of Christ. We could say that no believer leaves this world as an unanswered prayer of Christ. What this means, saints, is when a believer dies, the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that they may behold his glory and be with him, was answered. And here in our text, Paul knows that Christ is calling him home. Thomas Watson says, though death is a bitter cup, there is sugar at the bottom. Death is the believer's best friend, for it brings him to Christ, which is far better. And Paul's saying here, I'm ready to be with Christ. And saints, when every believer dies, it is Christ saying to that believer, I'm ready for you to be with me. I'm ready for you to behold my glory. Let's consider the third way in which Paul teaches us about death, and that is death is a departure. He says, and the time of our departure has come. To the Apostle Paul, death was a departure. And here Paul sees life as a ship who's ready to set sail. That those ropes and cords that tie him to the harbor are being loosed. The anchor of Paul's life is being lifted. And this is a beautiful way of thinking about death and the Christian life, is it not? To St. Paul, death to the believer is but a loosening of the anchor and a sailing from one port to the other. Not from glory to glory. But from this earthly and lower good to heaven. To what Christ. To the believer saints. Death is not merely the end, but more so death is the means to take us from this earthly tabernacle to our heavenly home. To the believer, death is an advancement of one's estate. Death is how the believer reaches their supernatural end. Which means to depart to Christ means to not only depart from your body, 
not only to depart from this earth with respect to your soul at least, but also to depart from Christ means to depart from friends and family. To depart from Christ means to depart from your job and possessions. To depart from Christ then means for us to depart from our phones, depart from the things we love so dearly. To depart from Christ means to depart from your children, from your wife and your husband. To depart to Christ means to depart from your church. And saints, I don't want to undermine the great relationships that we have made with others. The love that we have for our family members and friends and the the great blessings of the relationships that we have made with Him. But in death, although we lose much, saints, hear me now, we gain so much more. Remember what St. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live, or for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is to say, in death, the sorrow of loss and the things that we lose is overcome by joy when we receive Christ and all of Him. Friends, think of all the other things that we depart from in death. Not only do we part from family members and friends, possessions, relationships, money, whatever. Yes, we depart from family and friends, but saints, we also depart from sin. At the believer's death, the old man with his sin is finally put to death. As I say, the day we stop breathing, it will be the day we stop sinning. Which means that at death, not only will our sin be gone, will our sin be buried, but also those temptations that cause us the sin will be buried and will never be raised up again. At the death of the believer, we will depart, saints, from all of our cares, from all of our troubles, from all of our worries, from all of our tears. All of those things will be buried with us at death. And here in our text, the soul of Paul's ship, he, it's ready to be loosed. He's ready to go. As we come to verse 7, Paul now reflects on his life as a Christian. Look at me at verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Here, Paul sees the Christian life in two ways. First, Paul likens the Christian life to a fight. And secondly, he likens the Christian life to a race. And saints, aren't these two metaphors a a perfect description of how the Christian's life is here on earth. Paul knew quite well of what it means to fight. Not only the outward battles that he faced, but also the, the inward spiritual battles that every Christian goes through. And here, as Paul reflects on his life, he says that although he has lost many battles, and although he has accumulated many scars, he says, in light of all of that, I fought the good fight of faith. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I didn't give up. In light of all the bruises, in light of all the scars, in light of all the times I got knocked out, I didn't give up. Amen. I never surrendered. I never threw in to tell. 
Although I got hit many times, my hands stayed up and I kept pressing forward. Paul was very accurate in describing the Christian life as a fighter. But he's also accurate in describing the Christian life to a race. But congregation, there are many differences between the way the Christian runs their race and the way a runner runs their race. A runner in a race runs with light clothing that will allow him or her to reach top speed. But the believer runs with sin that weighs him or her down. A runner in a race only runs with themselves in mind. But the believer runs with the two great commandments in mind. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all their heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. A runner runs on a nicely laid out track, which allows the runner to have more spring to their stride. But the runner runs his race within the context of the fall. The runner runs their race on dirt roads and pumpy roads. And lastly, a runner runs with many cheering them on. But the believer runs his race with temptation and the allure to sin at every turn. And here Paul, as he looks back on his life, as he examines his life, he says, yes, it was hard. And yes, I lost many battles, but I finished the course. But saints, how can Paul say such things? How can Paul, in light of all that he's been through in his life, say that he's fought the good fight and he has finished the course? How can he say that? Consider with me the last words of verse 7. I have kept the faith. How can Paul say I finished the race? How can Paul say I have fought the good fight? Because I kept the faith. The life of St. Paul, of course, was no cakewalk. In fact, Paul's life was an example that the Christian life here on earth does not cruise the glory. One example of this is seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 to 27. Paul says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A, a night and a day I've spent adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers of, from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. What a life that Paul lived. Now ask yourself, friends, in light of Paul's description of his life, if you went through all of that, if you went through all that, not the, not the paper cuts that we go through, but if you went through what Paul went through, would you would have kept the faith? Now, saints, I'm not asking, I'm not, I'm not implying that you wouldn't. Because the same spirit that Paul has is the same spirit that you have. But more so, I'm giving you an example of one who's been through much, just as you've been through much. And in light of all the much that he's been through, 
He never stopped believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that the great tragedy of those who used to be saved in Christ? Is they just stopped believing in Christ? You see, Paul, to Paul rather, no matter what he went through, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, whatever, no matter what he went through, the notion to ever stop believing in Christ was not an option. No matter what, the very idea of no longer believing upon Jesus Christ was never on the table for Paul. Congregation, the Sabbath day, ask yourself, is unbelief in Christ an option for you? Is unbelief in Jesus Christ ever an option for you? Is unbelief in Christ ever to be put on the table and to be examined when life has beaten you with its rods? You say no now. But when life has beaten you with its rods, when life has left you shipwrecked, when life has left you stoned, when labor and hardships and many sleepless nights have come your way, when Jesus asks you, as He asks His disciples, you do not want to leave also, do you? May God give us the grace to echo the words of St. Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, Paul lived. Paul lived this. Paul lived the words of Peter and saints. I pray as your shepherd that you live these words of Peter that no matter what happens, to whom shall we go? Where will we go? What would we do? But it's important for me to say this, saints. That yes, it was Paul who set in his heart that he will not ever leave his Savior Christ. That Paul every day willed to keep pressing forward. In light of all that Paul has been through, we are to think that the reason why Paul can say, I have kept the faith, is primarily because of Paul. We have to think that because Paul, and the reason why he kept the faith is because of his superior theological knowledge. Or because of he's some super Christian. Or even your self-congregation. How can you, in light of all of you have been through, the friends you have lost, the family members you don't talk to any longer, even in this year alone, everything that you've gone through, how can you, sit here this morning and can say, in light of it all, I have kept the faith. Where is the source? Who is the source? The reason, saints, is because Jesus Christ has been holding you together. Why can Paul say, I've kept the faith? Why can Paul say, I fought the good fight of faith? I finished the course why can you say I've kept the faith up to this point? I have, I have, I've kept striving and no matter what I kept striving. Because the God who's upholding the universe is the same God who's been holding you together. 
the same God who's hold and held Paul together. Why have you have not lost your mind and stopped believing in Christ? Because God has held you together. Amen. And what's the great reward that awaits St. Paul's saints? Let's consider the last verse of our text. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also those, or rather to, uh, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What's the reward for those who obey and hold fast to the faith? What's your reward? What is this all for? Well, not only in this life to live the good life, but is there anything for me at the end? Paul says, a crown of righteousness awaits him. Now, I wish I could open this up more, especially on this day. It was, yes, Paul who ran hard and he fought even harder. And God has respect to our fighting and God has respect to our running in this life. Yes, indeed, it was Paul that ran and it was Paul that fought just as it is you that runs. It's you that fights. But as Augustine says, God does not only crown your merits as your merits, but as his own gifts. That is to say, when God crowns our rewards and our good works and our merits, God's crowning himself. Because it is God who worked in and through you to complete it. This is why, saints, when we receive our crowns, we will do exactly what those 24 elders did when they received their crowns. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 through 11, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and they will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, O Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power for you create all things and because of your and uh, because of you uh, they existed and were created yes god rewards us and he will reward us but again when he rewards us he's rewarding himself when god rewards our merits he's rewarding his own self but saints that is the great climax that is the great apex of the Christian life is yes in this life we live the good life but when it comes to an end God will reward us for our faithfulness God will give to us a crown of righteousness and saints what we do with that crown again is we will give to God what is rightfully his and that is all honor and glory so saints how do we die well well simply put keep fighting keep running the race Never stop believing upon Jesus Christ. How do we die well? The writer of the the, uh, book of Hebrews sums this up well. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we also have a great, such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking only at Jesus. How do we die well, saints? We look only at Jesus. The originer and the perfecter of the faith.
who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray.